I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Kim Grenolds of dogman.com with Chris Fetters. Chris, just wanted to recap what went on this weekend. Looking forward to the Arizona State game at 7.30 on Saturday. we got new uniforms coming up. Michael Penix is now the media darling and looks like the favorite to be the Heisman Trophy candidate. And uh, lots of stuff going on post. And we just wanted, I just wanted to touch bases on the reaction because when we're watching the game, we miss a lot until we go back and watch it again. And just watching the game day again, and watching the TV coverage, you know, I just wanted to start with game day, just how blown away Pat McAfee was. because I think he was expecting to come into a little bit more volatile atmosphere. There was a lot of a lot of love shown to Pat McAfee, and he was blown away. Yeah, I think he wasn't the only one. I, I mean, and I think a lot of those guys, like the game day guys, when you're talking about Reese Davis or you're talking about Kirk Herbstreet or those guys, I mean, they've all, always been really, really complimentary of Washington and I think Herb Street specifically has, has had nothing but good things to say about Washington. He's always had nothing but really good things to say about Oregon as well. So I think just in general, I think he appreciates what's going on up here in the Northwest and has for quite a long time. But, yeah, McAfee's certainly the new guy on the block. I think, um, you know, when he played for – who did he play for? Indianapolis? I can't remember. But he played for a number of teams, and so I know that he probably spent a couple times – up here in Seattle doing some things and, and, and just playing the game, but never got a chance to really experience the atmosphere and the culture and everything that comes along with being, you know, what's in Seattle. And so for him to experience that and for him to do his, his show, you know, right on the right there at Husky stadium, the day before the game, um, you could just tell it was a phenomenal showcase for Washington nationally. And he even said it in the, in the pregame show in the game day show Saturday morning, how this was going to be a showcase not just for Washington football, but for Oregon football and for football just in general on the West Coast. And he certainly was right about that. Well, I think it all started off with game day, Chris, because I expected a good crowd. But when I saw that crowd on TV for game day at 6 o'clock in the morning in the rain, I don't think they anticipated that because that place was packed and the way they had the purple lighting set up on the buildings, it looked amazing. Yeah, it was very similar to what they had done in 2013, 2016. But yeah, it was a lot more packed from my eyes. It certainly looked like a lot more people were in Red Square this time than the previous two times for sure. And so that just underscored the the nature of the game, the fact that this was the first game ever played in the Oregon-Washington rivalry where they were both top 10 teams. The, you know, the anticipation of the game and the buildup, the fact that it was the main game on the national stage that day, Everything seemed to align up to make it a, a, a special, special event. And Husky Nation showed up and showed out. And Chris, you were up in the press box after the game, and I'm down on the field. But it was interesting going back and watching the telecast with Kirk Herbstreet just, you know, uh, just saying, 
he broadcasts Thursday night football. He's involved in the NFL. He's been involved in college football a long time. And they're showing the crowd and Husky Stadium on the floor. The field was packed, you know, with people rushing the field. And he just had a lot of emotion in his voice saying, you don't get this anywhere else but college football. And just the feeling that he expressed on that. And then also when the team was running out, you know, pregame with the band lined up and the purple smoke going, I was standing next to Julio Rodriguez and, you know, he grew up in the Dominican Republic. He'd never seen a college football game like that. He'd never been at a college football game and his eyes were wide and he was all wound up and he just kept on saying, this is crazy, you know? So to see Julio Rodriguez blown away, to see everybody, the national media, did you get a chance to hear what Colin Coward was saying uh, when he was on with Brock and Salk? Did you get a chance to listen to that at all, Chris? No, not really. Just, it's, but just everyone that was up there, because this this was one of those few games where the press row had to have overflow seating. They had to have bleachers brought in um, to, to take into account all the scouts that were there, as well as the rest of the national media corps and, and all the ESPN folks that were there. And, you know, to a man, whether you're talking about like a Stuart Mandel or a Chris Fanini from The Athletic or Josh Pate from 24-7 Sports and CBS – you know, all these national guys that came in that hadn't necessarily experienced a game at Husky Stadium before, the the common denominator, Kim, that I kind of heard them talk about, I think that they were almost more impressed with than anything else, was the fact that the press box was open air. And for people that don't know, for Washington fans that don't know, the press box has basically kind of garage-style windows that open and close like a garage door depending on what the situation is in the game. And so the they will open the, the windows up like five minutes before the national anthem and stuff, you know, to try to keep the warmth in and the press box. And then the rest of the, for the entire game, we're, we're hearing all the sights and sounds and smells and everything else that's going on in Husky stadium. We're getting it. We're getting all the sensations. And then after the game's over, they will go ahead and close the windows I think that blew a lot of the national media away, Kim, because a lot of these places they go to, you're hermetically sealed in that press box. You don't get a sense of the noise or a sense of the atmosphere quite like you do if you're in an open-air press box. And they remarked, all remarked on it, and just how unbelievable it was to just have that sensory overload while they were kind of enjoying this whole Husky Stadium experience in that game. I, yeah, there's a ton of press boxes. When I'm down in Tucson, it's glassed in. It doesn't open. There's a, a lot of press boxes like that that are glassed in. It's almost like you're on the outside looking in. It, um, it was pretty wild atmosphere. There was so many personalities and celebrities and former players, uh, you know, down on the field pregame. It kind of had that electric atmosphere to it. And I was talking to one of the UW uh, official guys. They said that it uh, the decibels topped out at 129. They were running into a problem because if you try to purchase something to measure uh, measure the sound, most of them only go up to 130. So it took them a while to find a machine that would be able to record accurately the noise. And they had to have one flown in from Michigan, and that one went to 140. But if you try to find something online or wherever that goes over 130, it's virtually impossible. So they had one overnighted from Michigan that went to 140. and they told me that it peaked out at 129. I was kind of chuckling a little bit. Um, you know, one of the one of the media guys, because I was telling somebody else that 
been doing this a long time and been to a lot of stadiums, been to Florida, been to LSU, Ohio State, Michigan, been to the Rose Bowl. We've been to a lot of stadiums, Chris. That was the loudest I've ever heard. And I don't think anything was ever close. And somebody in the media saying Michigan was louder. Well, Michigan's just a big old bowl. You know, and the sound goes right up, just like the Rose Bowl. It doesn't bounce back. And m- almost all of Autzen is open air as well and where it's close to the field and can be loud. You have those jaws that are tilted down on Husky Stadium. And at one time I heard, I don't know if it's still true or not, if um, University of Washington Husky Stadium had more seats between the goal line than any other stadium in the country. Because when we go to a lot of other stadiums, you know, specifically Nebraska, boy, they got so many seats in the end zone. But when the guy was telling me that Michigan was louder, I'm going, yeah, no. And he, he wanted to make a point that Michigan was louder. And I finally had to say, dude, we're in the press box. I'm down on the field. That noise at Husky Stadium comes down on you hard. Um, so it was uh, pretty interesting that they actually had to have one overnight is from a firm they rented uh, in Michigan. I don't know if you were aware of that or not, Chris. No, but I, I, I was at the 1992 game that, measured the record in decibels and when I, I i think we're talking about the tommy smith safety in the yeah. east end zone um in the washington nebraska game in 1992 and that really kind of set the record as far as collegiately now i know CenturyLink or lumen and then kansas city i know they've been going back and forth as far as nfl and who's the loudest but i think there's this this misconception out there that that somehow CenturyLink and or lumen took their design philosophy or or Husky Stadium took that Jaws philosophy from like what happened, what was going on in the NFL stadium in Seattle. That's not true. It's the other way around because Husky Stadium no. has been like that since the what, since the 50s, 60s. Yeah. Well, camera, or at least at least the first one in the north on the north side. Now, the, the two Jaws together, I think it was it came like more like in the 60s, 70s. But still, it was well before the Seahawks were even a, a glint in someone's eye in terms of having a pro team in Seattle. Uh, this has all been about the University of Washington. Washington's always been there in terms of football, well before the Seahawks were even a, a thought. So um, again, it's it's for a long time it's been a Husky town, and um, every once in a while you're reminded of that fact. And Saturday we got a big, big heap and dose of it, and it was fun to see. Yeah, the other thing that really came out of it is uh, Michael Penix all of a sudden. Everybody's proclaiming he's now the front runner with Caleb Williams going back to Notre Dame and having three interceptions. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought the one comment that I saw, he looked like Caleb Williams was trying to hit a five run home run with every pass he threw. But uh, I think it's fair to say right now. And this is a weird thing. If you would have told us two years ago, Michael Penix is the front runner for the Heisman Trophy right now. He is, and not just is he the is he the front runner, but he's kind of clear and he's kind of cl- the clear front runner right now. Um, that said, I don't think Bo Nix did anything to damage his Heisman hopes. Uh, he, if anything, he was he was right there stride for stride with Michael Penix. The main difference is is at the end of the day, Penix has the scoreboard and Bo Nix doesn't. So those two guys have got to be right there near the top. Yeah, Caleb Williams, don't think we're going to see much of him anymore unless he absolutely just goes nuts and has the kind of game maybe against Washington when they go down to L.A. and play later this this year. If if he absolutely dominates and, and Michael Penix is, he, you know, if he lays an egg, maybe maybe things change. But right now, the odds have, have Penix is not just the front runner, but the clear front runner. 
Yeah, I think that uh, the things that put Michael Penix on the front, not only was the win, but uh, he had some moments in there that are going to be etched in people's eyes. I think it's going to be etched in people's eyes how much pain he was in in the fourth quarter and playing through it. He had some throws that were wow type throws. He had three or four of those. And then that game winning drive and, you know, just you get the ball back in two plays. You're in the end zone you know, for a touchdown and he's wincing with pain. And, um, you know, as good as Bo Nix was, I don't think that Bo Nix had any wow moments or moments that people are going to remember. But uh, I think that those things really elevated Michael Penick's status in the Heisman Trophy run. Right. And, and in the short term, everyone nationally is really focused more on Dan Lanning's fourth down decisions to yeah. go for it as opposed to Michael Penix taking advantage of those situations. But the simple fact is Dan Lanning went over three on four key fourth downs, but it doesn't mean anything if Michael Penix and Roma Dunze and the rest of that Washington offense don't take advantage of those situations. And when you get a fourth down and you get a stop, if you're Washington and then two plays later, you're in the end zone to take the lead with just under two minutes left in the game. That's taking advantage of the situation. That is that Heisman moment that you're talking about. That pass to Odunze in the northeast corner of Husky Stadium, that's something that not just Washington fans are going to be talking about for years to come, but that's something that that college football fans are going to be talking about as a definitive Heisman moment if Penix goes and eventually wins the Heisman Trophy. Do you anticipate uh, Dan Lanning making any of these fourth down decisions in tight games for the rest of the season? Absolutely. It's it's in his DNA, I think, to be honest. And he to his credit, he owned up to a couple of them. Like, I think the, the one right before the half was kind of the head scratcher, because if you go for these things, that's fine. If that's your identity, if that's your DNA, no problem with that. But part of what's baked in and Joel Klatt talked about this in the last couple of days. Part of the reason that that's that that's OK and analytics don't don't really have a problem with something like that. Or even if you just look at the eye test, part of the thing that's baked into that equation, Kim, is that if you don't make it, you've still just buried the other team at their own goal line, right? Well, that's important if you still have a lot of time left. But when you're literally playing the last play of the half, you get you, there's no benefit. You get absolutely no benefit. It's all negative if it doesn't work yeah. out for you. So well, that's where he's like, well, if I would have really thought about it, I would have kicked the, po- you know, would have taken the points. It's easy to say in hindsight, but really, if you think about it, if you think about that other benefit on the back end, if you don't make it, now all of a sudden you probably give your offense really good field position for their next drive because you've buried the other team. You don't get any of that, and so that was kind of the big yeah. problem I had with the one at halftime. Well, I say, you know, and this isn't the first time with Dan Lanning, and I'll tell you what Dan Lanning needs. He needs a Kim Grenolds. He needs me. Uh, I told you the story about, you know, God, we were back in our 20s, and me and my buddy were out at the bar having beers and taking whiskey shots and stuff. And I see him over talking to this girl at the bar, and I just walked over to him and grabbed him and pulled him away and said, no, no. Dan Lanning needs me to go up to him and say, no, stop it. Knock it off. So uh, we'll see if he learns from uh, this event or not. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. But uh, a couple other things. I'll let you pick and choose. What do you want to talk about next? Boys in the Boat trailer released or the new uniforms, Chris? Choose one. Well, let's stick with the new uniforms because that kind of still goes hand in hand with the, the, the end of the weekend because... You know, we got a chance to talk to the coaches and players this week after that game. Obviously, there was a lot of review and a lot of talk about the emotions surrounding that game, after the game, everything like that. But to a man that we talked to, like I talked to the players, for instance. I know Scott talked to the coaches this week. But to a player, everyone kind of knew that there was a a new uniform combination out there. I think that, that, to be honest with you, I think most of them even said they had seen it before kind of in theory what it was going to look like they just didn't have any idea which game it was going to be used for and so for them to come back literally after the game they get dressed they go home they do their thing saturday night they come back sunday morning they come back to the facility they go in the locker room and apparently they're all hanging they got the uniforms you got the helmets you got all this new stuff and I, apparently the reaction was off the charts. They're like, this is this is the way you top off an absolutely perfect weekend with this idea that you're going to be playing in brand new uniforms for your next game. So that that was really, really cool. Yeah, I thought you made a great point. You know, it's one thing seeing them like we saw them. But with this new LED lighting at Husky Stadium, what are they going to look like, you know, on TV with those LED lights? Because those chrome gold helmets... I mean, the chrome purple and the gold face masks. It's going to be interesting to see what they look like. Yeah, and, and not to jump too far ahead or, or talk about something completely different, but to kind of tie it into what we're going to see in basketball in a few weeks. Yeah. Basketball now has the opportunity to, like, turn all the lights off, have a monster light show pregame, mm-hmm. something that we've seen at every other facility in the Pac-12 except for Washington because Washington didn't have the lighting to be able to turn them on, turn them off. 
and now they do. And in talking to a couple players and a couple coaches that we've seen now that we've done the the the, the um, media day and all that kind of stuff, it sounds like the pregame is going to be amazing. So hopefully so, people will will come by for that for sure. But again, talking about Saturday night, Kim, and seeing how the purple lights kind of go with the with the chrome helmet the the purple uh the all purple uniforms and things like that yeah i gotta think that this stuff's gonna be looking really really sharp uh on tv for sure no i mean it's kind of funny because anytime there's anything with uniforms the fashion critics come out and it always just kind of cracks me up well you know the stripe on the pant needs to be a little bit narrower and the you know two shades darker on the gold or it's not you know we just seem to get this all the time but I didn't see much of that um, on Twitter or on our site. I don't know if you saw anything, but I certainly didn't. I think for the most part, people enjoy it. You're going to get the occasional people that just don't like it or they nitpick the thing like the purple in the helmets, not like the purple in the uniform and this and that and the other thing. And that's fine. I get it because part of the idea is seeing the pictures online and seeing what they're going to look like in person. I think are going to end up being two totally different things. Cause first of all, you're seeing one in 2d, the other, you're going to be seeing in 3d. You're going to see them moving. You're going to see, cause these things are designed to look their best on television in, in the national spotlight and what have you this. So I think they're going to look really good. The other thing is, is that they really shouldn't look all that dissimilar to what they looked like against Oregon. Cause they're going to be purple tops, purple bottoms, just like they had against Oregon. The only difference is, is that they're going to have the purple Chrome instead of the instead of the the actual gold helmet i like these purple chrome helmets compared to the ones that they've had in the past like when they played cal and stuff because the the w on those old chrome helmets were kind of like silhouetted and they weren't really featured these are almost like the w the gold w is literally like stuck on the chrome and yeah. I think it looks I think it looks really sharp myself. well I think the old ones had the uh, purple face masks too these are gold Yes, and it's and they're going to accentuate because the gold is also for the for the numbering and the lettering and the three stripes and everything else that Adidas does. It's going to be all gold instead of the white, and I think that's also going to show up and and look really cool. And at the end of the day, the kids love them. So there's <laughs> there there was nothing. All the players were like, yeah. like I remember talking to Drew Fowler, and I'll have a story um, with him tomorrow, but. He, he just said we had gotten a chance to kind of get a sneak peek on what some of these new uniforms were going to look like, even though we didn't know if or when we were going to wear them. But everyone was like, this is amazing. And he said it took every ounce of willpower for him to not tell his buddies and not tell his parents and his dad. And it's like, you guys have no idea what's coming. If we if we use these other uniforms, you guys are going to be amazed because they, they, they look great. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's just one of those things where it's in in anticipation and I think it's just another thing that's going to help them lock in and get refocused after such an emotional game on Saturday. Yeah. Before we move on and talk a little bit about the trailer, Chris, I wanted to um, God, I can't even remember his first name. What's Durfee's first name? That's how far Zach. I am. Zach, Zach Durfee. Um, when we were um, doing post practice yesterday, um, Kalen DeBoer um, made it a point to um, talk to um each one of the media members that was there or at least every organization to kind of fill them in what was going on with Zach Durfee. Um, He just wanted to make sure that he was crystal clear on everything. I think somebody asked him um, 
after the press conference on Monday, and maybe it got a little bit misconstrued. But he just wanted to make it crystal clear of what was going on. Um, when they applied for the waiver for him to play, it was denied. When they applied uh, for the, um, what do you call it? Well, they uh, appealed it. They filed the appeal. Sounds like that was denied. Um, it also, he kind of hinted, we're still not done. So we'll see what happens with that. But he wanted to be crystal clear on that. I think, you know, we're kind of reading between the lines. He's not real happy about it, but he just wanted to be real clear about it. So, um, you know, people who are, uh, you know, caught up into the drama of Zach Durfee. So we'll see what happens. But as of right now, um, the appeal was denied and they're still working on some stuff. So we'll see if that happens. We're, uh, you know, halfway through the season. So we'll see. I think the other thing that people, if people have been focused a little bit more on the national stuff and how it correlates to what's going on with Zach Durfee, there's a there's a former Kent State receiver who actually played at Husky Stadium last year by the name of Tez Walker who transferred to North Carolina, and he went through the exact same process that Zach Durfee went through because he played at a college that, that had to cancel their football program because of COVID and ended up at, at Kent state and he initially got denied and had to get a, an appeal waiver appeal. And finally he got accepted, but it wasn't until Mac Brown, the North Carolina head coach basically made a federal case out of it in the media, just absolutely just scorched earth over the NCAA yeah. over their handling of this. And, and to be honest, that's not Kalen DeBoer. That's not what Kalen no. DeBoer is all about. That's not his style. That would be really uncharacteristic of him. But at the same time, would anybody really – I mean, <laughs> I think everyone would completely understand if he went scorched earth on the NCAA over stuff like this. Because it's not like Zach Durfee is, is breaking some sort of crazy rule and doing something deliberate. It just seems so – just dumb. It's just dumb to me, this whole thing. Yeah. So, anyways, that's the update on uh, Zach Durfee and um, Boys in the Boat trailer dumped uh, this morning so looks pretty cool it's uh, about the um the rowing team what was it 1944 45 do you remember 36 well 36 rowing team at the olympics and uh, it's a george clooney production well i'm trying to remember was it a year or two ago chris that they took us in the old um rowing house where it originally and most of it's still standing do you remember going up there no the old shell house is still there i know we did the old shell house stuff when adidas first unveiled all their uniforms and stuff, but I haven't been there since. Yeah. But uh big deal. That dropping is going to drop. I mean, the movie is going to be out on Christmas day. So uh, more good PR for you, Dub. Yeah. More good PR for, for you, Dub. It certainly is a, a phenomenal story. True story, obviously, you know, of a Washington boat that, that overcome all the odds to not just represent the United States of America, but to go to Germany, 1936 height of Hitler, rowing against the Nazis and beating the Nazis in, in a in a uh, really kind of wild come from behind fashion. And so it's obviously going to be super dramatic. George Clooney directed it. Um, the the book bo- the book by itself was a bestseller and became kind of a national sensation when it came out. So I think this this has been kind of a project of Clooney's for some time, kind of a passion project. And so to see it come out and especially on Christmas Day, like you said, is pretty phenomenal.
Yeah, no. So uh, 7.30 kickoff at Husky Stadium the following week. We have Stanford at 4 o'clock, and I'm absolutely stunned it's at 4 o'clock. I was expecting a 7.30 kickoff on that. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Again, we just want to try to get one more podcast in per week for you guys, maybe get a little bit of a reaction post-game, post-media you know, media with the coaches and stuff. So, uh, Chris, wrap it up. Anything else you want to add? No, just just that I know everyone's really excited to see what the recruiting implications are for for yeah. this. I know Kalen DeBoer was asked about it on Monday about the reaction of having you know 50 plus top recruits for 2024, 25, 26 classes. Uh, when we'll have Scott talk a little bit more about this, I think Saturday night we won't spend a ton on it, but I think the initial reaction has been really really strong. No no commitments coming out of it, but I think you could maybe see some of the 2025 guys start to pop a little bit, start to get that class rolling and off to a good start. And then they had a couple guys that, that obviously the 2024 class, you've got, uh, you know, Keona Wilhite was there. Uh, Jericho Johnson was there. Just a couple of the names for, for the 2024 class that I think people should, should keep an eye on. But Scott is the, obviously the guru. And when we have him on, uh, he'll certainly be able to fill us in on the latest. Yeah, and everything sounds like they're only going to take a couple more high school guys and they'll fill in from the portal after that. So, uh, you know, more on that at a later date. So uh, 7.30 again, and uh, basketball is just around the corner as well. So it was fun walking through Heck Ed and seeing Xavier Wheeler. Check out the post on the uh, basketball board, watching him and his dog. And uh, that was that was pretty cool seeing him with his dogs. And everywhere Xavier went, that dog followed him, you know, so – uh, yeah, Xavier's coming out of the bathroom. The dog's following behind him, you know, with a big old happy face. So it was kind of cool. So check what's that the out. what's the name of the dogs? What's the uh, name was the dogs? it Astro Astro World? I think he said Astro World. Astro, yeah. Oh, just think, Astro. Okay, Astro makes sense. Astro World would be <laughs> unique, I guess. <laughs> well, Xavier is unique. Did you get it? Uh, you know, we're gonna have a, a preview on Xavier. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that yet or not. But we'll have an interview up with Xavier here shortly. But uh, did you hear the part where he said, you know, just back in the day with AAU, his parents would drop him by the airport with 200 bucks in his pocket and a BlackBerry and send him on his way? No, but I, I'm sure that's the case for a lot of a lot of kids, you know, getting out of the nest, you know, having to learn some lessons on their own. We all had to go through it. So um, but yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. And but it's interesting talking, listening to what Coach Hopkins was saying about those guys and, and just, you know, how his path to Montlake and, and how Keon Brooks was a big part of that. Yeah. That whole Kentucky-Washington connection still paying dividends for Washington. Um, I, obviously a ton to be excited about as basketball starts to take shape here. But, you know, unfortunately – as much anticipation as there is right now for the basketball program and, and to see if they can turn it around and, and do what they need to do. Nothing right now is going to top what the football program's doing and rightly so, because they've got a chance to not just win a PAC 12 title, the, the last one in existence, but then also to, to get into the uh, potential college football playoff and hell maybe even win the whole thing. So that's that's the exciting thing right now, and I know that's the thing that most Washington fans are really focused on. Rock and roll, Chris. We'll just keep it going. We've got a long ways left in the season, and then basketball, and then we start back up with spring football, and then recruiting, and then we just start all over again. So keep it tuned here at Dogman.com. And for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters. Go dogs. <laughs>
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.